Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be recapping the Thunder's last four games. I'm going to be talking about Darius Baisley and his recent breakthrough and I'm also going to be talking about Mamadi Diakite, his recent signing and what I make of the transaction and of course like always guys gonna be giving a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook so you do not want to miss out on that finally back on the podcast guys I mentioned it on Twitter if you did not know I did test positive for COVID last week so I kind of wanted to lay low I was still doing content for SI all the written stuff typing I was good but I didn't want to risk it with the podcast, so I appreciate the feedback I got from you guys. Appreciate the feedback I've gotten uh, for some of the content lately as well, and hopefully you guys will enjoy today's episode. Really apologize for the stoppage there. Uh, COVID is, you know, really, really bad. Uh, Luckily, I only had mild symptoms, so wasn't crazy for me, but yeah, just got to make sure you are safe uh, with everything going on. But Just starting things out with the Thunder in their last four games. And to start things out, they end up facing the Denver Nuggets. This is one where you have Jokic in the lineup. Couple injuries here and there for the Denver Nuggets, but they were able to barely inch this one out. 99-95. to Low scoring game relative to some of the scores we've been seeing league-wide, but... Thunder were just not able to stop Jokic. He had 22 and 18 in this game. Austin Rivers, Thunder legend, by the way, right? The day or two he was there, he ends up dropping 22 points off the bench. And another guy in Jeff Green drops 16 points. Every time Jeff Green plays against the Thunder, it seems like he just dominates. Something about him. He has a very good mid range game. I know when Houston was playing OKC in the playoffs, he was unstoppable. So it's kind of just that pain that the Thunder can never shake off. So Green gets hot. And then for the Thunder, they didn't have that true number one option. This was by far SGA's worst performance of the season. Shoots 2 of 14, 0 of 3 from distance. So that's already two strikes, three and you're pretty much out here. Only goes 4 of 4 from the foul line. 4 of 4 is great, but... For SGA, we've seen times where he's taking it 10, 12, 15, 16 times at the line in games. So four will not cut it, especially when you're shooting two of 14. That is not good at all. Eight points for him is a season low, and he really couldn't get anything else going. Five rebounds and four assists to his name. Not really a wow factor to either of those two. Boxing one has been killing the Thunder in some moments. This is one of those games where you just leave two guys at the block, two at the elbow, leave that one man out there on the perimeter. No one was hitting threes, really, in this game. They shot 9 of 38. That's 23%. And for SGA's case, couldn't drive inside on Jokic. So their number one option in SGA was just cuts. And there was no secondary option, to be quite honest with you, just because they could not get wide open threes to go. So the fact they only lost by four is pretty damn good. Really telling on how the defense was in this game. I thought they did all right in that area. Lou Dort, he was technically the leading scorer. 14 points, one of nine from three though. Like, I don't think you could look at this game and say definitely, you know, one, two, and three, these are the best players. Giddy was all right though, had 11, seven, and eight. 
to go with his stat sheet so he's always been good as a passer but they never really got it together in terms of finding that number one option and sometimes that's all right definitely not in this case so when you're playing a team like Jokic you have to match one for one with a star did not work out so that's one loss uh, from there move on to play against the Washington Wizards have to swing it over to DC and this was a really really down to the wire game a lot of clutch time went into this one I believe it was even with three minutes to go in this game and then you start to see some shots fall for the Washington Wizards Kyle Kuzma erupted early in this game I think he had 15 in the first quarter but he finished with 29 points and the Wizards were able to route the Thunder 122 to 118 so another four point skid for the Thunder drops them to O and Sue on this stretch but you really cannot be mad after SGA goes for eight points looks like not good uh, whatsoever he has one of his better performance of the uh, performances of the year where you're thinking even though he dropped 32 points you could have seen him drop 42 and I don't think there'd be a different reaction he got to his spots whenever he wanted whenever he needed to 35 minutes with the 32 points 13 of 22 in all one of two from three so he's still a little bit shy from there but five of six at the line saw a ton of double digit scores in this game total of six for the thunder lou dortz really didn't figure it out from three again just two of seven does get 17 points giddy though with 18 points and eight assists bays look good off the bench trey man had 11 and ty jerome 12 points this was an intriguing game for ty just because the typical ty jerome is a perimeter centric player he went 0 of 3 here but his floater game was really on point in this one so i liked what i saw this this could have been a game where they easily won and you won bat an eye with denver you know did they deserve to win probably not but hell you know the defense kept them in that game so they have two close games building some momentum of sorts to face the Brooklyn Nets. You don't have Kevin Durant in this game. No Kyrie, just James Harden, really. And they dismantled them. The Thunder take an early lead in this game. End up winning 130 to 109. This was the best game I've seen from the Thunder all season long. And it's kind of ironic because you go into the game. I was listening to the Way broadcast for the first half, and the commentary crew, they were kind of just talking about how the Thunder weren't having many good games at all. And they mentioned the game against the Wizards was probably their best game of the season. That is really dumb. That might be the dumbest thing I've heard on air in a little bit of time. They've won 13 games going into this one. How is a game where they lose by four their best of the year? I know that's not what it was supposed to mean. That was probably their best game in a hot minute. Yeah, but no, absolutely not, man. It's just a slip of the tongue. It's a hard time I'm giving. But the Thunder, I mean, I don't know if they heard the, the broadcast, what it was. Fuels them up, though. They just completely destroyed the Nets. I don't care if KD's not playing. I don't care who's out. Just whoever's in front of them, tackle them. They did just that. And James Harden is no joke, man. You know, he's a guy that leads you to playoffs year after year. You look at the Houston Rockets. He was carrying them. You know, he brought them to MVP stat lines. He's dropping like 35 a game in some seasons. 
goes in this game 26 points for him yeah good good numbers 3 of 11 from deep though and no one could really hit points or get the points for the Brooklyn Nets now I'll say there were a couple scares to where you can never truly say the Thunder had it now they had a insurmountable lead it seemed like but the uh, the Nets kind of just kept picking at it Cam Thomas a really nice rookie he had 21 points uh, in this game and just those like explosive microwave scores always give you a chance and that's what Thomas did but the Thunder shut the door by the fourth quarter is kind of smooth sailing so they were able to take it but for SGA he tops the 32 point performance in DC with 33 of his own and if you thought he looked good in the last game this was a way better game for him 11 of 18 9 of 10 from the foul line that's already two of three when you get two out of the inside game the foul line and obviously that three ball it's going to be a good game for SGA and he already gets two two of five from three that's passable for me right like he's not currying it he's not getting like 18 points from three or whatever still has to get their defender out there so with flying colors he passed this one uh, and just like the other game he's slashing inside taking contact it doesn't matter for him he's either getting the two shots or he's getting it to go off the glass or just off a straight up contested layup he was doing some crazy acrobatic acts in this game and Josh Giddy was getting in on it too he went 8 of 17 when you look at what he was doing on threes or on the inside, he went five of six there. A lot of those were floaters. And then he gets in, no foul shots still, but it's not a problem for him. So he was beasting in the paint for his 19 points, seven assists. Lou Dort was feeling it from three after being cold, six of 10 from deep, 27 points. Baisley dropped 16. Mike Muscala, 14 points in 12 minutes could not have done better here they shoot 44 percent from three and this is something that could probably be its own podcast I'll, I'll probably get that out at some point but just look at this thunder team if they're able to consistently shoot middle of the pack from three or just off the catch and shoot they're going to be winning a lot more of these toss-up games because they're shooting astronomically low numbers off the catch and shoot it's probably above the 30 percent threshold they've been at all season just based off their last patch uh, but that's still going to be a league low. They're not shooting well. And when you're not shooting well from three, that's when you start implementing that box in one. That's when SGA starts getting out of sync because you're pressuring him. And when guys like Bays, Dort, whoever the case may be, cannot find the basket, that's when you find yourselves in the bad end of a crazy run uh, for some teams where you go down double digits and such. But that was not one of those games. Really good turnaround from the last two brings you to the Cavaliers game and they look just as good to begin this contest they took an 18 point lead at its fullest we're riding into a double digit lead going into the second half and then they squandered it this was one where when you look at the box score especially earlier on it's a trip it is because the Thunder were killing the Cavs in the rebounding category by halftime they were damn near doubling them the Cavs have three seven footers in the starting unit Markinen, Mobley Jared Allen it didn't matter for the Thunder they roll out there they can bring in guys like Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Derek Favors which they did kind of go uh, top heavy there in terms of height but 
you know, Giddy being that third dude and you're still destroying Laurie Markkinen, that's impressive, man. So they are up big time. And then it just turned into the Darius Garland show. Even without Colin Sexton, the Cavs have been rocking and rolling. Garland takes that torch, finishes the game with 27 points and 18 assists. But more importantly, it's a tie ball game at the two-minute warning. The Thunder are looking to convert here. They get a miss. Garland and Mobley turn it up. I believe they tallied the last eight of ten points for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Garland got two shots to go in. Mobley got a dunk around the basket. Kind of said goodbye to this one. So the Cavs were able to take this comeback 107 to 102. Like I said, Darius Garland playing out of his damn mind, man. 27 points is good. But 18 assists as well. He was just initiating the offense inside and out. 18 of the 28 assists were coined to his name. And for the Thunder, they only had 17 assists in all. So Garland just did a better job distributing the basketball. Saw a lot of half-court stagnation for the Thunder. Still had some decent stat lines like SGA again with 21. Lou Dort gets 17. Bays gets 17. Arguably one of his best games of the season right there. Ty Jerome too. This is a guy who probably went under the radar during the last couple games. But he's been looking a lot more impressive. I kind of compared him to like a 2K player on Twitter a couple days ago. Dude just launches like three-point shots from 30 feet deep. And it's almost like those 2K guys where you're not fully upgraded right like the new 2k system when you get a badge you can apply it to whatever you want this dude has like four shooting badges put all of it on limitless range and called it a day like he doesn't have a fast jump shot nothing really pretty to it but he'll shoot it from long range and he's able to hit it at a nice clip hit two of two 30 footer and 32 footer goes four of six for 10 points got all those 10 points in a six minute stretch He's a microwave, guys. That's why he's playing above Teo. And that's why, you know, people have argued that maybe he should stick around long term. But that brings you to the current day. They're playing the Mavs tonight. And going into this one, gonna be interesting because there has been news that Beasley will be the number one guy. He's finally back in the starting unit. Gonna get you guys up to date on that. But first. I'll let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NFL playoffs are here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking things off with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team is victorious. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have something to play for this wildcard weekend. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. 
Bet just $5 and win $280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN this wildcard weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving on to Darius Baisley. I know in the last few podcasts when I've done these batch form episodes, I've done the main takeaways. And this one, kind of just wanted to recap it, get you up to date on some of the scores, some of the stat lines. The biggest takeaway, though, from these last four games, Darius Baisley. And all the hard work is paid off for him because he is starting in tonight's game, like I noted uh, but this has not been something where Bays just got it due to, you know, injuries or this or that. Baisley has had to work from almost the ground up to get back here. Before this, Darius Baisley was the long-term starter. I believe it was 84 consecutive games Baisley played as the starting man in this season alone. The first 27 games he was the starter. Uh, but the numbers were not good. I had podcast episodes. Every podcast probably had episodes just discussing Baisley and his inefficiency. He did not look good as a starter to begin this season. When you saw Aaron Wiggins start to beam some light, you saw Wiggins take the starting gig. I don't think there was any real drawback. Everybody was kind of on board with it. Baisley was kind of not really playing true to his form. The inconsistency has been there like all three seasons for him, but I'd say like the first 27, mainly, I'd say it shown up. There were way more bad apples than the good ones, and his stat line uh, going into the bench when he first got called down was 8.5 points and 6.3 rebounds. The worst part, look at the field goal percentage, 37.3%. 63% from the line, and 28.1% from three. None of those three are too appetizing to me, to be quite honest with you. And even with 8.5 points, 6.3 rebounds, that's not bad. But on those numbers, they are. They are pretty bad. And the reasoning behind those numbers and the reason he just didn't look good as a starter, in my eyes, would just come down to the situation. You have SGA and Josh Giddy, two guys who are really high up there in terms of drives. SGA is still number one in the league. Giddy's got to be up there in terms of the rookie class and just league-wide as well. And when you have two guys that are just so penetration-heavy, you got to find kick-out players. And for the Thunder, they kind of are here with just a lot of tweeners, right? Like you have Isaiah Roby, you have Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Those are not true centers. You can move them up there, of course. And then at the power forward spot, still some tweeners. And Darius Baisley kind of happens to be one of them. He's more of that true four just because he's played there, but he's still a bit of a tweener. And more importantly, I think you need shooters there at the four and the five and really the three. Lou Dort, he's not been shooting well this season, but we know he can be a pretty damn good shooter. Mike Muscala is the best shooter on this team, no doubt. He's not going to be getting those minutes though because he is 30 years old already. Uh, so the minutes do go to Darius Baisley. And this wasn't a controversial decision when you're starting at the beginning of the year, 
But when you cannot hit wide open left wing and right wing triples and teams opt to sag off and there's really no repercussions for them, that's going to start to hurt you. And that's what happened to begin the season. It kind of became uh, this snowball effect of sorts where every game you'd kind of put a magnifying glass on Bayes and say, you know, this happened, this happened, kind of just being hypercritical of everything. Um, but yeah, with a bad three-point shot and bad spacing, sometimes just some errant penetrations as well, I'd say some of that backlash was warranted. And when Wiggins was there, it's fine. But he gets sent down to the bench. He's played 10 games there this season. And this is the best patch of basketball I've seen Bayes play probably his entire career. If not, I'd say the bubble might be the second best. But this is better play we've seen from him as a starter just in general what we found here in these 10 games and I'm really excited to see it he's done an amazing job and kind of just figuring everything out once again and he's deserved this shot uh, like I've talked about so the first two games on the bench it was more the same, right? Where you're shooting like three of eight, three of seven, and you're just not able to get to your spots. With Bays, he's either just going to be hanging out at the perimeter, taking those catch and shoots, or he's going to get in at the wing and just drive in. And sometimes he gets tunnel vision. He just wants to take it for himself. And that was kind of the case to open things up on the bench. And that was to be expected. Like, when you look at Bayes and how he plays, if you're going to put him in an opportunity or a situation where there are no primary ball handlers, you have Ty Jerome next to him, I'm not shocked if he's shooting 10 times a game off the bench, to be quite honest with you, and that's what he was starting to do. Uh, but the third game, he really started to unlock things from an efficiency perspective, but also just how he was playing. He wasn't just this guy who's lingering around the wing and he, if he gets the ball, he's either hesitating, kicking it out, popping it with probably not a lot of confidence in it, or just anything of that nature, right? He was starting to cut inside, backdoor cuts. If we're talking fast break, he's going to be cutting in. He's going to be that trail man. If you have things going on in the half court, if he's up top, season opening, he's going to take it, and he's going to convert. He had this game against the Nuggets, just talked about it. 17 points and 11 rebounds as the sixth man. Seven of those eight baskets came inside. Just drive after drive. You didn't have to get fancy with it. These aren't isolation one-on-ones like what we've seen with the starters. This is just take what is given and just reap the rewards of it. And that's what I love to see from Bayes. So he gets that one game And he just continued to keep it going by the end of the new year, start of this year. He's looking good as well. And the last four, perfect, perfect play. All four of these games, he's dropped 10 plus. And all four of them, he's still been this same type of player, which I've talked about a lot. I think this is the best version you're going to find when he plays this way. Just an off-ball cutter. If you're able to play him off the ball, not from this perimeter standpoint, from ins- but from inside, he's going to be a pretty damn good player. This is the same type of talk I've given with Vit Krejci as well. He's a pretty good cutter on the back door. Um, but just with these like 6'8 guys who are athletic, Bays is a lot more athletic than Vit, by the way. But just putting him in that spot, that's the ideal situation. 
And because of it, you're starting to see the benefits. Averaging 14.3 points, 6.5 rebounds, 1 assist, 1.5 blocks in those 10 games. Just really good stat line after really good stat line. Last two games for him, 16 points. Follows that up with 17 points. Arguably has been one of the top three best guys, I'd say, on this roster since the new year. The fight probably is between Lou Dort and Bays, to be quite honest with you, because Giddy's been good, SGA's been good, Dort's been kind of up and down, and with Bays, he's been up and down, but right now the stock market is looking pretty damn good for him. He's hitting all-time high, at least from what I've seen, uh, and definitely for this season. This is the best that we've seen Darius Baisley, and it's just because of the inside attacks. The one thing that I've seen and the one thing that I'm still kind of weary about going back to the starting unit with him is the fact that he really proved something that we already knew. And I wouldn't say, I don't think proved is the best word because I'm not sure if we really 100% were certain on this. I'd say more solidified this. He's solidified. He's a damn good attacker. If he's taking it, driving it through the lane, secondary moves like moving spins or just hard gathers. He has perfected it, and he's either getting to the line or he's going to score on you uh, when he gets into that scenario. He can do that with the ones when the lane is there, uh, but you're going to get a lot more of those driving opportunities with the bench, with the starting unit, with SGA, with Josh Giddy. That's going to dump down, and he's still playing with the ones even as a bench unit guy, but it shifts a little bit in terms of rotation, right? And the next thing, and I think this is the biggest thing, he hasn't really proved that he's this three-point guy uh, in these last 10. He shot 9 of 33 in all from distance. That's actually worse than what he's done on the season. That's 27.3%. And when you're playing with SGA and you're playing with Giddy, you have to hit on the catch and shoots, man. So if he's hitting them, he's going to be damn good. And when he's confident from there, there's times where he actually starts like 2 of 2 from 3. I think that was the case in Brooklyn. Um, that's when he like gets to drive inside at will. When you start stepping up on Baisley, that's when he's at his best, I'd say, on the ball. Uh, and he can work there, but it always has to start with those threes. You can't just attack immediately and get those rewards. He doesn't have that respect yet from distance, so you're not going to see tight presence on him uh, from the get-go. That has to be earned night in and night out for Bays. However, what I will say is if you're going to continue to keep the floor spaced, if you're still looking for these cutters, Darius Baisley has asserted himself as the cream of the crop on this roster. He's still going to be churning out those double-digit efforts if you find him there. And it's not just on offense where he's seen a lot of improvement. Defensively, he is a springy guy. He leads OKC in blocks this season, averages 1.2 per game. And these are coming off like post turnarounds. He had one like flat-footed poster rejection against Corey Kispert uh, earlier on in the week. And those are just the energy plays that can kind of swing the momentum. And you love to see that coming from a guy in base who has kind of been a little bit inconsistent, you know? So I hope that with the starting unit, nothing changes here. Um, we'll see. I'll give probably an update on him and what my thoughts are once we get a few of these starting games uh, in the way or out of the way. Uh, but first, we need to get through this first one against the Mavericks. 
you know, I think that this might be a case by case. Mark Dagonald has always kind of harped about the idea of situational matchups. If KD's playing in Brooklyn, Bays would have started this game. If we see undersized matchups, maybe we go with Aaron Wiggins in the lineup. Maybe we put Derek Favors and JRE together, like against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So it could just be up and down. This may still be a thing where he's not solidified, but this is his opportunity yet again to cash in the chips. And I wish the best for him, man, because he does have a very good mold. He just hasn't been able to unlock it yet. And, you know, th- this is the most consistent we've seen Bays uh, in, in a good, good time. But pivoting from Darius Baisley, I want to talk about another name that might not be uh, so, like, A-list, right? I want to talk about Mamadi Diakite. And with Mamadi, if you've been following the Thunder for the last three months, if you've been looking closely through the transaction log, probably know who Mamadi is. He was signed by the Thunder almost three months ago to the day, and this came off of a waiver claim. Now, a waiver claim in the NBA, uh, it's not like a traditional transaction, right? When you waive somebody, there's a 48-hour period where you're on waivers. You can claim them just like fantasy football. I guess it's it's kind of the same thing, right? And if you claim them, The one thing that happens is you're taking on whatever the released contract was. So let's say Gabrielle Deck when he got waived. If the Spurs or whoever wanted to sign Gabrielle uh, picked him up, they would have signed him and they would have taken the contract OKC gave up. And OKC would not have to pay this money from Deck anymore. It's almost like a handoff. It's almost like a trade for nothing, right? So the Spurs would take Deck, take the 3.8 mil. That's something they put on the paybook. Uh, and for the Thunder, they get off scotch-free. Nothing there. And this wasn't a big deal because it was a partially guaranteed contract. But the Milwaukee Bucks waived Mamadi with a 100k partial guarantee. Thunder took him off waivers, which is not uncommon. But for the Thunder, it's kind of rare to use a waiver claim. Uh, which is kind of telling, but they pick him up and they plug him into the training camp roster when they already had 17 guys. I think people forget, like, they had Paul Watson Jr. already through the mill. Josh Hall was gone. Watson was there. Wiggins was there. All 17 players were on hand, but they picked Mamadi as like this priority guy that they wanted to have kind of test the waters with, and they had Rob Edwards uh, as well as a training camp member too. Uh, but they get through these games and Mamadi got it shortened down. He looked good. I remember he had a couple pretty nice blocks around the basket, but all he got to do was play 14 minutes of preseason play, ends up dealing with a fracture, a left hip fracture done for preseason. That's a month long injury three months as it turns out Um, but yeah that hurts availability when you go down to trying to sign people if you're right on the cusp and you have this injury that's not going to be you know a day-to-day case could it factor into it I think it could now Dagnall kind of deflected that idea saying it didn't really matter Uh, but they opted to go with everybody else Mamadi was that final cut and you know he's been out he's been away from basketball for the last few months just kind of rehabbing not been with any other pro teams just sitting in free agency but 
the Thunder decided to sign him to a 10-day contract earlier on in the week, just got cleared to play. Thunder are calling his name. And we didn't get to see a lot from him in the preseason, so I'm probably just going to give you a quick recap on Mamadi as a player right now. Four-year man out of Virginia, teammate with Ty Jerome, NCAA champion, goes down to play in the NBA, goes undrafted, but gets a two-way deal with the Bucks. looked really good in the G League bubble, averaged 18.5 points, 10.4 boards, and 2.1 blocks, took home a G League championship with the Lakeland Magic, and completed the trifecta, getting the NBA championship last year with the Bucks. So he already has the NCAA championship, the G League championship, and now the grand prize NBA championship. Pretty successful man at 22 years old. Didn't play a lot with the Bucks, like actual NBA level. 14 games, 3.1 points, 2.4 boards. So not a lot there. Uh, but he was dominant in the G League. And when I was looking at G League centers last season, I didn't really look at Mamadi just because he was off limits. He wasn't on a con or he was already on a contract. I was looking at guys like Moses, obviously Omer. Looks like Shaquille O'Neal right now. My goodness. Um, and then for some other guys, Devon Hall was looking really good. Tyler Cook was also looking amazing. Kind of go down the list. There were a lot of good-looking centers uh, last season. O'Shea Brissett, too, was like a six foot seven center. That was kind of wacky. But yeah, lots and lots of of talent and Mamadi was putting up numbers better than most of those guys and after looking at the Lakeland highlights I really like him as a player I mean he's six foot nine seven foot three wingspan that's the exact same mold that we've seen from Mark Dagnall when he looks at um, some of these front court guys but he's kind of nimble with it does a very good job off of moving spins just like Bays. like those secondary moves are kind of his deal standing dunks are in the forte just a very athletic dude and it makes up for him being six foot nine wingspan obviously helps too but just the lengthiness there and then the bouncing ability makes him a really good lob threats uh, and it makes him dynamic too because you can kind of leave him out in the mid-range or the three and he does have a lot of self-creation ability when you're kind of facing that flat-footed center now i'd say a good comp is like roby like against a G League center, Roby is eating their lunch every time. He's going to get that turn on him, get that extra step. Mamadi can do the same thing. You have to look at it from the NBA level though, where it might not be as successful. So he's still a bit of a question mark on terms of penetrations, but defensively, he's a beast on the boards, really good at positioning. So he has a good mold there and Thunder, they don't have any true center right now. The tweeners talked about it earlier. Isaiah Roby, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Mark Dagnall has been set on record saying like JRE is kind of more of a power forward. So we want to experiment him there. Roby, he's playing center in the G League. He's kind of just been a primary center. Uh, but we know like he's more of that three to four almost. And for the true centers like Favors and Muscala, they're good. Uh, I don't think they're going to be part of the long-term plans, though. They're 30 years old already, so you want to find that next like role player, maybe rotational guy you can filter in. 
just for this season, even like a Tony Bradley, but just take a shot on somebody. So Mamadi falls in there. Olivier Saar falls in there. He's still on his 10-day contract. But honestly, I think Daikite has... He's, he's probably has priority right now just because of the history and because he was on the two-way last year. I give Mamadi the edge in terms of who is going to get minutes uh, while they have the two intersecting deals. But yeah, Mamadi, he's one of these players where I genuinely think he's either going to get two 10-day contracts or he's going to nab a long-term gig for the remainder of this season just because of the things I listed. I really do think that his archetype fills uh, what the Thunder are looking for, but you know, he's not a tweener. Even though he's 6'9", he's always played center, and you can plug him in right now, and I think he'd be a pretty decent project piece for you. Uh, so I think rolling the dice would make some sense. You have to look at the logistics of it in terms of where's this roster opening going to be have one opening uh, with the standard deals because deck getting waived because Oni getting waived however i don't think mamadi is really in a position to get that 15th contract right now a little bit too valuable for me i think that either goes to aaron wiggins or that's going to be something you look at in a month or two from now you have to get past this trade deadline i think that's when you assess maybe giving out uh, these extensions or these contract upgrades and that kind of that kind of puts Daikite in that area I, I think the best option would probably be Daikite just outright taking a two-way deal and both two-way contracts are filled right now however Paul Watson Jr. has not looked good and actually He's not even with the Thunder right now. He's with the Oklahoma City Blue. Just played his first game with them in over a month easily. It might be two months. I think, yeah, it might have been November actually last time he played with them. And the production was not that great. 24 minutes for him, one of eight shooting. He's been in a pretty big funk. Shooting 47% with the Raptors from deep last year. Plummeted to the teens with the Thunder. And he hasn't looked much better in the G League. 27 years old man so he's not this uh project really i think he was meant to be kind of the fixing piece uh, where you can plug him in with sga and giddy in some spans and he can be that knockdown sharpshooter just hasn't been it right now so if they cut ties with him i think diakite does get that spot and with paul watson jr getting put down in the g league and getting those minutes I think he's finally under that magnifying glass. I've made this a conversation, not just in my podcast, but also on SI for over a month. And I really do think there is something to look at here. We're seeing transactions. We're seeing Baisley go into these positions where he's a starter again. You're starting to see Aaron Wiggins get these big opportunities. They're always for change here. And I think if Daikite strings up some good games or Watson maybe is not that great, that's when you sign Mamadi to another 10-day contract and probably make that ultimatum or make that final decision. And I wouldn't be too shocked if Mamadi came out on top. I think Paul is a good player. However, just right now, he has not fulfilled the needs of what I believe that role uh, was meant to be for him. He's kind of had to lean on his inside game for the points when he's really just been known as a catch-and-shoot player on offense, really good pickpocket on defense, but 
I, I would think you're kind of looking at more of the three ball when you sign him to a two-way over a potential field guy like a Josh Hall. But we'll see about that situation. We'll see how Mamadi does against the Mavs, see how Baisley does in his first start in over a month or close to a month. So I'll get you guys a recap on that, get you guys some other stories as well. But I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode. Sorry for taking a week here. Like I said, COVID does suck a lot. Um, But yeah, appreciate you guys sticking with me and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.